Hello and welcome to History for Weirdos. We're your hosts, Andrew and Stephanie. And each week, we're going to take you on a journey into the strange, obscure, and relentlessly entertaining corners of human history. Now listen up, friends, because it's about to get weird. Weirdos, welcome back to episode number 112 of History for Weirdos. Yay! We're glad to be back, guys. And this week is actually fairly important. Mm -hmm. Do you have any guesses as to why, Stephanie? No idea. Why don't you tell me? (laughs) Well, ladies and gentlemen, fellow weirdos, it is Stephanie's birthday this week. Yay! And I believe she has, her episode rather, has a figure in it that ties into your birthday. Absolutely, it does. Okay, I'm really excited (laughs) to hear more about that. So, weirdos, on behalf of all of you, happy birthday, Stephanie. Aw, thank you. That's so sweet. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, weirdos. Yeah, I I just took the initiative on that, guys. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure they approve. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you. Okay, well, without further ado, Steph, why don't we just dive right into this week's episode? Yeah, of course. So, as you all already know, this week is on Nostradamus. perfect for the weirdos i'm really excited about this i'm so glad so we'll just get started michel de nostradam also known as nostradamus was a french astrologer apothecary physician and a very infamous seer Mm -hmm. he's best known for his book le prophétie which was published in 1555 It just means the prophecies. It's a collection of 942 poetic quatrains, allegedly predicting future events. And I'll get into that a lot more in the episode. Nice. Nostradamus has been credited with predicting the Great Flood of London in 1666, the rise of Adolf Hitler, and even the September 11th terrorist attacks in the U.S., Okay, so he has a track record that goes a few hundred years. That's mm-hmm. that's fairly impressive. Yeah, but most interestingly, however, is the fact that Nostradamus was born on December 14th, my birthday. Yeah, there we go, weirdos. <laughs> <laughs> he was born in 1503, granted. Okay, okay. So he's my birthday twin, give or take 489 years. Oh, wow, those were fairly specific. Yeah. <laughs> Give or take. Give or, Give take. or take. Okay. So I'm going to go on a bit of a tangent here before we go further into the information, just to explain my connection to this subject and why I selected him for this week's episode. So we're going to go back. How far back? I'm about nine or 10 years old. Oh, okay. Very nice. And I'm just perusing Barnes and Nobles on the Third Street Promenade in Santa Monica one day. My mom's probably downstairs with the magazines. <laughs> I know. Down, your mom's downstairs with like People magazine and, yes. and like in the gossip columns. And then you're upstairs reading like Nostradamus. Yep. I came across a copy actually of Le Prophétie. Oh, wow. By Penguin Classics. This was in English, of course. Of course. And I started reading it right then Ooh. and there in the store. And as a result, like the good little future weirdo 
that I was, I became obsessed with Nostradamus. And ever since then, it's been like an on-again, off-again situation with him and I. Of course. Um, But I thought that his impact and just the strangeness of being a seer would be perfect for this week's episode, especially because his birthday and mine are the same. You guys are birthday twinsies. Birthday twinsies. I mean, someone pretty prolific, too. You know what's mm-hmm. interesting? Even if you don't know a lot about Nostradamus, which I don't, honestly, you've heard the name. And you're about to learn. Wow. Oh, wow. Oh, my God. <laughs> Who could have predicted this? <laughs> Probably whoever read the episode title. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, thousands of people. Okay, cool. Yeah. Awesome. I I will also say my love for Nostradamus or my interest in him did reemerge. And this is for the weirdos who were CW fans. When the show Rain came out, which is about Mary Queen of Scots. Gotcha. Okay. But there's a Nostradam- Nostradamus is in the show. Um, he's played by Rosef Sutherland. And I will be talking about why he's in that show at all. Um, so I'm going to be talking about him and his relationship with Catherine de' Medici later on in the episode. Wow. So we're going to have a lot of twists and turns here, it sounds like. Yes, I will preface this by saying that there's a lot of side quests in this week's episode. Nice. This is exactly how I play like those video games, right? Whether it be like the newer Zeldas or Assassin's Creed. Mm-hmm. I do I do a lot of the side quests. Oh, good. Then you'll yeah. love this. <laughs> Perfect. It's probably because I have ADHD. Yeah, same. Like that's 100% probably percent actually. That's probably why I actually wrote the episode <laughs> like this now that you mention it. Oh my god. Did I therapize you? <gasps> Oh, (laughs) the tables have turned. (laughs) So let's jump in to learning about this controversial seer. Ooh, okay. So let's go into his early life. As I mentioned, he was born in 1503, and he was born in Saint-Rémy-de-Provence, France. His father's family had originally been Jewish, but they had converted to Catholicism a generation before Nostradamus was born. His known siblings would have included Delphine, Jean, Pierre, Hector, Louis, Bertrand, Jean again, I kid you not, Jean number two was this kid's name, God. and Antoine. So he had a lot of siblings. I think wow. Nostradamus is the eldest, though, of all of these kids. I lost track. How many were there? Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Nostradamus would make nine. So I think he's the eldest of nine. Wow. Okay. Yeah, that's a lot of kids. But little else is really known about his childhood. Um, so around the age of 15, the young Nostradamus entered the University of Avignon okay. to study his baccalaureate. Uh, it's more from based off the research that I saw. It's not like a... Like, um, it's more like just high school stuff because what he would have been learning are things like grammar, rhetoric, logic, stuff like that. Okay. But after little more than a year of being in school, he was forced to leave Avignon when the university closed its doors due to an outbreak of plague. Wow. What year is this, do you think? So he's 15 or 16 when it closes and he was born in 1503. So 16 years after 1503. Oh, so like 1519. Yeah. Okay. So a plague is popping during this time. So yeah, and it's like centuries after the the, the bubonic plague yeah. first arrived in Europe. Yeah, it's centuries like, after that, but like at this point, 
I think the plague is a very regular occurrence. Yeah, you get flare-ups. I mean, we covered it quite extensively in Povelia. Yeah, in that's that right. Episode. That's right. Go check that one out after this if you haven't already. <laughs> so according to his own account in his writings, after leaving Avignon, he traveled the countryside for eight years um, until about, or starting in 1521, eight years on, mm-hmm. researching herbal remedies. He was just studying herbs. Did he give any indication as to why? It's just because he felt like it? He was interested in medicine. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So he studied on his own, like an independent study of herbs throughout France and Italy, actually. Wow. That honestly sounds like quite the life. I know. That Very does idyllic. sound That does sound fun, except for all the plague that you're probably encountering. Oh, yeah, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. And then in 1529... After some years as an apothecary at that point, he entered the University of Montpellier to study for a doctorate in medicine. There we go. So he's like, let's make it a fish. Let's do this. He was, however, expelled from medical school (laughs) shortly after it was discovered that he had been an apothecary. That was a manual trade, quote, like that's what they called it, that is that at the time was expressly banned by the university. Oh, so it was for like a dumb reason. It was for a dumb like reason. Like a dumb classist reason. Not like for actually like he was doing medical harm. No, it's because he had to provide for himself by doing manual trade as an wow, apothecary. Wow, what a piece of poop. I know. The expulsion document still exists in the faculty library today. Okay, that's awesome. Isn't that cool? That's really cool. Imagine seeing that. I got to see that. So now we'll get into a little bit of his personal life. Okay. Nostradamus first married in 1531, but his wife and two children died in 1534 during another outbreak of plague. From the plague, I'm guessing? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. From the plague. He fought alongside after that other doctors or, you know, he was learning or providing medical care through the apothecary work he had done. And he fought alongside doctors um, to help people who were suffering from the plague. And he actually became very renowned for his amazing medical treatments. Oh, wow. So after getting kicked out of med school, he still went on to heal people in a doctory way. He's showing them who's boss. He's showing them who's boss. So then again, he travels throughout Italy and France. That's a theme for him. Who could blame him? So just like Julius Caesar going from Italy and France. Exactly. Okay. Because good food, good countryside, good wine. It keeps you coming back. Yeah. I mean, I I get it. So then for the next six years, he goes deep into researching herbs and kind of like experimenting with different treatment methods. Okay. Okay. He eventually settles down in the town of Salon, France, in 1554, where he marries his second wife, Anne Ponsard Jamel, with whom he will eventually have and raise six kids. Wow. Three boys and three girls. Nice. Perfectly balanced. Mm-hmm. As it should be. <laughs> as it should be. So that's the background that we have of Nostradamus, okay? Okay, so he's like in his mid-30s by this point, roughly. Yeah, and he's done a lot of independent study because he doesn't really have another option. And he's helped a lot of people at this point. Hell yeah. 
So then it's during this time after he gets married for the second time and he settles down mm-hmm. in Salon, he begins his second career as a prophet. <laughs> as a side hustle. <laughs> oh my God. Can we please have a side hustle like that? Being prophets? Yeah. I mean, I know history for weirdos right now is technically a side hustle for us both, but... A third, a second side hustle? Let's do it. I say let's do it. Let's make some predictions. <laughs> They'll be ten thousand dollars, please. <laughs> I know. Well, you'll see. He he succeeds at this side hustle. We'll get to that. So in fifteen fifty five, um, he wrote his collection of centuries, is what they're called, and that's a century is a set of one hundred, obviously one hundred quatrains. Nice. So I'm just gonna go on a little aside here. A quatrain is a four line stanza of poetry. And it can be standalone. These four lines can be their own poem or they can be a part of a larger poem. And the word quatrain comes from the French word quatre, which means four. So all of the predictions that we have from this guy is written in poetry, is written in these four line stanzas. So we have we don't have any letters or any sort of other documents written by this guy. We do have letters. Oh, okay. We do have letters, but I mean his predictions. Got it. Understood. He's not making predictions in letters. He's only doing that through these quatrains, and he wrote a hundred of them. <laughs> so not only did point. he make the predictions, he's writing poetry. Yeah. Wow. He's just really showing off at this point. He's like, my other side hustle is poet. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> Doctor or apothecary, I guess. Yeah. Prophet, poet. That's a good Instagram bio. <laughs> I'm going to steal that. <laughs> <laughs> You heard it here, folks. You heard it here here first. first. So then over the next several years, he would complete a total of 10 centuries. Centuries are a hundred of those quatrains and he writes about almost 10. So almost a thousand total then quatrains. Yep, exactly. Um, He wrote these in a mixture, which I think is really interesting actually, of French, Italian, Greek, and Latin. Wow. So he was a polyglot. Yeah. Isn't that fascinating? I mean, it kind of makes sense. Someone who's this brilliant can pick up languages probably so easily. Yeah. They're very, and he, he says this when he does write about his quatrains, they are full of symbolism and metaphor. So that can kind of be a problem, I guess, if you're reading them as, as factual predictions, what is a metaphor and what is meant to be taken literally. Right, exactly. That can make interpretation difficult. You know what that kind of reminds me of? Mm. Like the Oracle of Delphi in like mm, ancient Greece, you know? Yeah, that's a good um, association to have here. Yeah. So I want to make two points just for some context of the time that we're in. During this time, astrology is actually at its peak. Oh. It's um, a type of forecasting of earthly events through observation and interpretation of the stars, the sun, and the moon. Okay, that's like a vague background of what astrology is. And although to us, astrology may be seen as like very trendy, very new age, kind of like a hobby. Right. It's actually been considered a scholarly tradition throughout most of history. In ancient and medieval times, astrology was closely linked with astronomy. They were kind of like interchangeable. And then many cultures, including um, 
China, India, and the Mayans developed their own systems for predicting terrestrial events from celestial observations. So they kind of had their own versions of astrology. Interesting. Okay. So it's almost like it's almost like a forecasting system where they're like, okay, let me look at the sun, the stars, they're moving at this rate. Mm-hmm. Like and then these things happen when like the stars are at this alignment. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I'd say what is really interesting about astrology that I don't think a lot of like people know. I only know this because I've gotten more and more into it throughout my life mm-hmm. is it's looking at part of astrology. Part of being an astrologer is actually just documenting what you're seeing because the quote unquote predictions come from looking at patterns from the past and seeing what were big events happening the last time the stars looked like this. Right. And is that happening again? Yes or no. That's a big part of it. Interesting. Okay. So it's like fact gathering. Yeah. That's why it was treated as more of a science back in the day. Yeah. You definitely don't get that vibe today as much at least. Yeah. So I thought that was important. Like it's not seen as like woo woo to them. This is seen as like, as if you were studying astronomy. (laughs) Okay. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. And conversely, while the study of astrology is really at its like scholarly peak, there's also the Inquisition, which started in the 12th century in the Kingdom of France, which was meant to combat religious deviation. Right. <laughs> this practice of Inquisition is still alive in Nostradamus's time, very well and alive. And it only actually officially ended in Europe in 1834 when it was finally officially abolished abolished in the last country that was using inquisition embarrassing i know so basically nostradamus is getting a reputation for being really good at predicting the future in a time when it can also be seen and tried as heresy if he pisses off the wrong people because like all things it's the law isn't fair and equal, right? Like it always is. It depends on who you know and who your buddies with. Exactly. And if your buddies with the right people, you're going to get off. Mm-hmm. And if you're not, well, then you could be tried as a heretic. Exactly. Yes. So that brings us to one of his most famous buddies. Ooh, here we go. Now we're going to talk about Catherine de Medici and her family. Most of the quatrains, that Nostradamus composed dealt with disasters like earthquakes, wars, floods, invasions, murder, droughts, battles, and plague. So a lot of fun stuff. All the fun stuff. Only the best. Some of his prophecies were being fulfilled in real time, like in his lifetime, which meant that his fame was very widespread. So widespread, in fact, that he was invited to court by Catherine de' Medici, the queen consort of Henry II of France. Okay, so that's kind of a big deal. It's a big deal. Nostradamus got the summons from her and he was like, oh no. This could either be really good or really bad. (laughs) Luckily for him, it was good. 
she wanted him to cast the horoscopes of her children. So he was like, yay, I thought this could be a beheading, but we're just doing like a horoscope party. So beheading <laughs> horoscope party, 50-50. 50-50 chance for him. It turned out to be in his favor. Cath- good. Yeah. Catherine the de Medici was actually known as the Black Queen because of her passionate interest in mysticism and astrology. Okay. She, I see a girl. Yeah. She was reportedly superstitious from childhood and superstitious. I put in quotes cause that's very subjective. And she loved to surround herself with famous magicians and astrologers. The most famous of whom were Cosimo Ruggeri, an Italian astrologer and alchemist and our guy Nostradamus. Yeah. He's number one though. <laughs> he's number one. He's number one. He, Nostradamus became a permanent feature in the royal court. And both of these seers were very prominent when it came to state affairs and how the queen handled everything from like who her kids should marry to where she should travel. Wow. Okay. So she had a large and very influential like view and control over her kids' lives. Yes. Catherine... The Medici, if anything, eventually develops kind of like a overbearing reputation Oof. for so, her children. Yeah, overbearing mother. Well, it's her job, really, is to keep them going and to keep them... Like in power? In power, yeah. That's pretty much it. And I'm going to get into this right now. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about this guy, Cosimo. Cosimo. He... His story or what he predicts is actually going to come about later on. So I just want to share that with you. So Cosimo infamously predicted to Catherine that her three sons would all become kings. And that the Valois dynasty, that's their family, her husband's family, would end with them and would favor the house of Bourbon. They're kind of familial competitors. Right. Mm-hmm. I know about the House of Bourbon. Mm-hmm. So just keep that in mind as we continue. So that's fun. That's great news to have <laughs> from your seer. <laughs> from your seer. And he had been right about other things before. Like sh- they believed, doctors believed she was barren when she got married. And she meets Cosimo and he's like, no, you're going to have a ton of kids. You're good. And she does. So upon hearing this, I'm sure she was like, "Uh uh-oh, what do you mean all of my sons are going to be kings? How does that work out? That's not a good thing usually. What needs to happen for all of them to be kings, right? I mean, yeah, like one oldest becomes king, dies. The second oldest becomes king, dies. Third one becomes king. Oh, and then guess what? The bourbon house is going to take over. So the third one dies too. Mm. I mean, I don't know, but we'll see. I don't know. Someone here is making some good predictions. Weirdos, what do you yeah. think? Am I also a visionary? You mean a seer? Seer. Oh a visionary is different. Visionary is different. That was a stupid comment. <laughs> no, it wasn't. Visionary is more like, uh, I don't know, like Steve Jobs. What would be a visionary? Yeah, why did I say visionary? No, I know what a visionary is. Because you Anyways, have visions of I the do future. have visions, mm-hmm. yeah. I am also a visionary. <laughs> <laughs> That's why. There we go. So back to Nostradamus. Nostradamus predicted that Catherine... De Medici's fourth son, Henry III, would be driven out of the city 
and that he would flee before being banished from the kingdom of France and that the siege of Paris would then take place. That's not a good one. That's not a good prediction. And I'm sorry. Not fun. I wrote fourth son. I think Hen- that's her third son. Uh, she has a lot of sons. So okay. I can't keep keep them all straight, but I don't think she has four. I think she has three. Um, he also made a very disturbing prediction concerning the death of Catherine's husband, King Henry II, which um, he wrote. He, he included it in his book because he's like, this is a good one. Yeah. <laughs> he, he published it. Oh, my God. He said, quote, he will pierce his eyes through a golden cage. Two wounds made one. Then he dies a cruel death. And guess what? What? The king of France did indeed die as the result of an eye injury sustained in a jousting tournament. Okay, so... Weird, right? This is weird. Like, I mean... Yeah. That's... that's. So that happens. And then remember, he's kind of backing up with that prediction of Henry III that he's going to be driven out. Um he's kind of backing up what Cosimo said. So, so far she's got two, two seers on her payroll and neither of them is giving her what she wants to hear. Yeah. They're not at all. I mean, this is pretty, this is rough. Yeah. And the one about Henry the second came to fruition very shortly after. So she's probably like, God darn it. (laughs) Um, Catherine's very convinced that Nostradamus is powerful. So she makes him the personal physician to her, son charles the ninth got it okay and here we're gonna tell you what happens to her sons are you ready oh i'm ready let's go hear it so charles the one that nostradamus is in charge of charles charles he's king of france from 1560 until his death in 1574 fun he ascended after his brother francis the second died in 1560 francis ascended to the throne at age 15 he was married to mary queen of scots yes that's why nostradamus is in the show rain right it's a very good show i want to rewatch it now that i've mentioned it so many times it's not an advertisement either (laughs) no (laughs) and so francis was actually when francis was on the throne he was actually king of both france and scotland because of his marriage to mary but he dies at the age of 16 of an ear infection. That is just so sad. Who like, dies of an ear infection? I didn't even know that was possible. I didn't know that was possible either. I mean, that's just that's just really sad, honestly. Mm-hmm. So, Francis dies. Francis dead. Then Charles is like, me. Charles dead. And then Charles gets tuberculosis and dies, right? And then... Henry the third comes up dead and he's like it's my turn um and he died without all all three of these young men die without an heir I figured Henry the third I actually don't know what he died of but he dies he dies okay um I don't know if it's an ear infection or a tummy ache I don't know but he dies and none of them have heirs to ascend after them that's all three of her sons they're all gone Catherine Lost out. No more sons. So then, guess who takes over? The House of Bourbon. Yep. Henry of Navarre. um, Establishing the House of Bourbon as the new French royal dynasty, just like Cosimo said. Wow. That's wild. Yep. 
So, so far, the predictions are coming true. She loses her husband and her sons. And the Valois dynasty falls. So, literally, everything that guy said, it came to fruition. Mm-hmm. Oh, that sucks. I know. Not gonna lie. That blows. So, that was our little, like... um Highlight, I guess, of Nostradamus and the French court and his relationship with Catherine de' Medici. Luckily, to what I appreciate about her is she didn't seem like a shoot-the-messenger type of lady. She saw these predictions coming true from both men, and I think she gave them very like generous pay and accommodations and stuff. I don't think she ever took it out on them. Right, because it's not like they're bringing it about. They can only see it. They mm-hmm. can't like control events. Exactly. But you know how royals are. Yeah, they're crazy. They're crazy. So we're going to get back to Nostradamus's other predictions outside of the House of Valois. Got okay? it. So one of his most famous ones was the Great Fire of London. In 1666. In 1666. He wrote in his book, quote, The blood of the just will be demanded of London, burnt by fire in the year 66. The ancient lady will fall from her high place and many of the same sect will be killed. And what happened? A small fire started in a bakery on Pudding Lane. Pudding Lane? Such a cute sounding lane. Pudding Lane. In London on September 2nd, 1666. And it turned into a three day blaze that would eventually consume the city. Wow. Isn't that wild? Yeah, that's a little uh, disconcerting. A little bit. A little bit. So another one that he predicted. Should I tell you what the prediction is or should I read you the quatrains first? Oh, read us the quatrain okay. and then we'll predict or okay. I'll predict. And you'll guess what or it guess is. What the, yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Are you ready? This one doesn't have a year. Okay. So it's you got to really like use your imagination, I think. Okay. Quote. Mm-hmm. From the enslaved populace, songs, chants, and demands, while princes and lords are held captive in prisons, these will, in the future, headless idiots be received as divine prayers. French Revolution. That is Nostradamus predicting the French Revolution. Yeah, let's go, baby. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, I'm, I almost went, wow, but really loudly into the microphone, and it would have like blown out your eardrums. So. I was impressed. Yeah, I really held it together here. Oh, um, yeah. I'm pretty I, stoked. I was impressed that you got the prediction right. Oh, I was just impressed with my like self-restraint. That you were able to contain your, woo. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, and then I wrote what happened in 1789. Is that correct? 1789, yeah. Okay. You know, my dyscalculus, sometimes I flip the numbers. The French people decided enough is enough. (laughs) And they revolted. Peasants took control of Paris. um, And the aristocracy were locked in the Bastille, the prisons, like he says, until they were beheaded at the guillotine. Yep. Pretty accurate. Pretty accurate. Fun times. Okay. Do you want to guess again (laughs) for the next one? Okay, let's hear it. This one is going to be harder. Okay. Because only a part of it rings true to a historical event. Interesting. So this quatrain goes, the great man will be struck down in the day by a thunderbolt, an evil deed foretold by the bearer of a petition. According to the prediction, 
Another falls at nighttime. Conflict in Reims, London, and pestilence in Tuscany. The end. <laughs> what do you think it is? I mean, it's a lot of stuff. Because um, mm-hmm. it doesn't all go together. That's right, it doesn't. Confusing. It sounds like in this assassination or something. like. Yeah. And then, but there was like some sort of disease in Tuscany. Mm-hmm. I don't get, I don't, I'm not following here. I actually, I don't know. Okay. This verse has been most associated with the assassinations of both Kennedys. Oh, okay. I thought it, I was thinking JFK, but like, I was like, I don't. Yeah. President John F. Kennedy, a great man, right? right. Like in the thing received numerous death threats, the petitions throughout his presidency. Yeah. And while visiting Dallas, we know in 63, he was gunned down. That would be the thunderbolt in the daytime. Right. I know that. Um, his brother, Bobby Kennedy, was later assassinated just after midnight in 68. So that's what they associate, associate with another falls at nighttime. Oh. Like another man, another man in the family. Got it. However, the big like confusing trip up with this one is there seems to be no association of the conflict in London and the sickness in Tuscany doesn't fit in. Yeah, that was, that threw me off. I had no idea. Yeah, there's nothing like that going on in the 60s. Um, not at least at the time of these two men's assassinations. So that one's right. more like, hmm, who knows? Right. And then, you want to guess another one? Okay, one more. Let's guess one more. Okay, okay. I got to redeem myself, weirdos. You're doing amazing. Thank you. All right, ready? Yeah. From the depths of the west of Europe, a young child will be born of poor people who by his tongue will seduce a great troop. His fame will increase towards the realm of the east. Hitler? Yes. Yeah. I was like, okay. Mm-hmm. It's basically like an antichrist and it's already <laughs> happened. So closest person, Hitler. <laughs> yes. This, uh, this quatrain is most commonly associated with the rise of Adolf Hitler and a little side tangent here on this um, Joseph Goebbels the Nazi minister of propaganda ordered the creation and distribution of a brochure that would convince those living in the like neutral countries that a Nazi victory was inevitable using Nostradamus's prediction as proof wow yeah, his wife Magda actually showed him this prediction and was like, see? So Goebbels like even bought into his own BS. Yeah, Goebbels bought his own BS. <laughs> the Allies, though, retaliated with a bit of psychological warfare, airdropping large quantities of flyers over German-occupied territories, claiming that there was actually another Nostradamus passage where <laughs> Germany's defeat was foreseen. There isn't. There isn't one. They okay. had. A, they wrote a fake one. So literally, they dropped fake news into Germany. Yeah, into German-occupied territories. Yes. Then, in an attempt to like back this up and boost morale, MGM, the studio, produced a series of short films about Nostradamus, so that people knew who he was <laughs> and why it was a big deal that he quote unquote predicted. Oh my God! This is like the beginning of the CIA. Right. I thought that was so so interesting. Yeah. I won't make you guess anymore. Those were all the ones that I thought would be fun for okay. us to read here. And 
we are going to get into a little bit of the controversy of Nostradamus. Nice. So Nostradamus's contemporaries held varying opinions about him. Some respected him very mm-hmm. much so for his medical skills and his knowledge of astrology, while others were skeptical and very critical of his claims. Today's critics tend to have three main reasons for discrediting him. Okay. Number one is vagueness. Nostradamus's predictions are often criticized for their ambiguous nature, making it susceptible to a wide range of interpretations. And skeptics are arguing that the vagueness allows Nostradamus enthusiasts to retrofit the verses to historical events. Right. And now that is something you could definitely, I think you can make that argument. I Mm -hmm. think pretty well. Yeah. Cause he is very vague. Mm -hmm. I mean, somewhat eerily specific, but also yet vague. Like he, I mean, he was a genius, so he could probably write in a way that made him sound like he could, Mm -hmm. if he is a fake, right. Just let's just say he is a fake and he's so smart. He could just write in a way that's like, Oh, well, I get it, right? That makes sense, but still have plausible deniability. Right, right. Then there is the criticism that his fans have, to kind of go along with this, have selective interpretation. Um, They tend to like cherry pick kind of the uh, quatrains and they can't really explain all the ones that haven't come to fruition. Right, Right, yeah. They're like, I don't know. Because it hasn't happened yet. Because it hasn't happened yet, yeah. And number three, these all kind of are actually the same point now that I think about it. It's the lack of specific, specific dates. Not all of them lack dates, but most. Right. Like even the Great Fire London, the 66, it could like he purposefully avoided the first two numbers, right? It could be 1666, 1766, 1866, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So the absence of the clear reference could you kind of lend credit to those other points. Right. But that brings us to the question, did Nostradamus consider himself a prophet? Ooh, that's interesting. I never th- even thought to consider this. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay. He explicitly rejected the label prophet. Smart. In several of his writings, and I'm going to give you some examples. He wrote in a letter, quote, although my son, I have used the word prophet, I would not attribute to myself a title of such lofty sublimity. He wrote that in 1555. The second quote says, some of the prophets predicted great and marvelous things to come. Though for me, I in no way attribute to myself such a title here. And he actually wrote that in a letter to King Henry II. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. So he's telling Henry, like, Henry's like, oh, you're this prophet and you said I'm going to die. And he's like, nah. Nah, fam. I'm not that good. (laughs) That ain't me. (laughs) (laughs) And then he dies. (laughs) And the third one is not that I am foolish enough to claim to be a prophet. And he wrote this in an open letter to the privy counselor um, because they were all like talking smack. The privy counselor, like, eh, he thinks he's so cool being a prophet. They were just being a bunch of mean girls. Yeah, they were being like super clicky and mean because he was <laughs> new in court. And he was like, I never said that. That's exactly how it went. I was I'm there. sure. So. A legend developed that Nostradamus would enter into a trance-like state by gazing into flames in order to write these quatrains and make the predictions. But if you read his book, Nostradamus himself tells us his process in one of the earlier quatrains. And it sounds more like, I do a ton of research, I contemplate, 
I meditate and then I write the end. Oh, wow. It's like weirdly logical. Yeah. He's not, um, in no way does he ever argue that he is kind of like calling on spirits or like having visions of things. Right. He, again, going back to what I was talking about earlier, he's studying what do we know about the celestial bodies and their placements in history so far? And what could that possibly tell us about things to come? So for many years, on a personal level, Nostradamus battled gout. Oh, that's a terrible disease. Very painful to have even now. Yeah. And by 1566, his gout got so bad that it likely developed into an edema, which is a buildup of fluid in the tissue. So it probably swelled his limbs. Yeah. Oh, that's rough. Mm-hmm. In late June of that year, he requested that his lawyer come to draw up an extensive will bequeathing his property plus 3,444 crowns, which would be more or less, according to Wikipedia, around 300,000 US dollars uh, today. And then he paid off some debts and he gave, he left all his money to his wife and kids. Okay, so that's good. Which is very nice. Yeah. And then allegedly on the evening of July 1st, he told his secretary, Jean de Chavigny, <laughs> quote, you will not find me alive at sunrise. The next morning, he was found dead, laying on the floor next to his bed, like in between his bed and his bench. He passed away at the age of 62. Wow. So he just went out with a banger. Mm-hmm. He's like, I'm not going to live the night. Yeah. FYI. So that is what his secretary, Jean, like attested to his whole life. But people are saying like, oh, he's just saying that to make it sound cool. But I mean, if he stuck with that his entire life. Yeah, then... that's kind of a weird thing to lie about. Right. He was, uh, Nostradamus was buried in the local Franciscan chapel in Salon, where he lived. But he was later reinterred during the French Revolution, which he predicted. <laughs> <laughs> In the Collegial Saint Laurent, where his tomb remains to this day. You can oh, go visit nice. it. Mm -hmm. We need to go visit it. Yeah. We need to post up and take some pics. I really want to. Okay, that's a tomb that I'd be down to see. Yeah. For sure. That one and what's the one in Paris everyone sees? Jim Morrison. Oh, yes. Yeah, I think Jim his, Morrison. Mm hmm. And then the catacombs. Oh. <laughs> I just said that to scare Stephanie. <laughs> you know that I'm scared of the catacombs. <laughs> I know. And it cracks me up. <laughs> So the prophecies that he wrote have been retold, expanded, in, they've influenced lots of popular culture, especially in the 20th and 21st, 21st, <laughs> 21st, 21st centuries. They became very popular again. Mm -hmm. uh, this man has literally been the subject of hundreds of books, both fiction and nonfiction. And his life has been depicted in films and TV shows like The Man Who Saw Tomorrow. This is a documentary style film from 1981. Very nice. The Curse of Nostradamus. Oh. That's a Mexican film from 1961. That makes sense. The Curse of Nostradamus. It's very like extravagant. It's actually about a vampire. Oh my God. Even better. Isn't that cool? <laughs> yeah. Nostradamus and the Queen, which is a 1941 film where it's actually Catherine de Medici reflecting on how Nostradamus accurately predicted the fate of her family. That's rough. 
And then the Nostradamus effect was a History Channel TV show in 2009, which I think is so cute. It's really cute. And of course, Rain by the CW. I think that's like the third time, maybe fourth time you've mentioned it this episode. The Rain girlies know why. They know what's up. Yeah, weirdos. If you're a a Rain girly or boy, let Mm -hmm. us know. Yeah, because you know what's up. Exactly. All in all, Nostradamus left a complex and enduring legacy that continues to captivate minds around the world. His legacy is controversial for sure, but despite skepticism, his predictions have inspired countless people around the world for the last 450 years, Ooh, which I think is so cool. That is cool. Weirdos, what do you think? Do you think Nostradamus is, is like a fraud or is he legit? If you're listening to this on Spotify, let us know. Yeah, comment. L- comment it. Comment what you think about Nostradamus. Yeah. And that is his life and legacy. Nice. Thank you so much, Steph. This is the first time I've ever like heard like a full transcription of his life mm. and his like deeds. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously we didn't do every single prediction. Too but many. There's way too many. But I mean, I didn't, I didn't know anything about this. I didn't know his relationship with like the French monarchy at all. Really? Yeah. Or that he was going to be a doctor. I mean, yeah. I just knew about Nostradamus, but kind of like, oh yeah, like I know about this one person that's referenced constantly. Yeah. You know, he also wrote a cookbook. Oh my God. <laughs> that's amazing. That was another side hustle he had. Did do any of his dishes cure cancer? I don't think so. But he is the king of side hustles, it seems. I know. Mm-hmm. We got to step it up. We got to step it up. We can all learn from Nostradamus here. So before we wrap up, let me share my sources for this week. I had multiple articles from the Encyclopedia Britannica, as well as multiple articles from the History Channel. Nice. It was too many to like list individually. The Loire Valley, the region in France, has their own website with oh, a wow. lot of like the history of the region. And I got some information there. Business Insider... Business Insider, let's go. <laughs> Had an article on him. Amazing. History Now Magazine. This really cool, um, I, I don't know, blog or website. Looked very like aesthetic and curated called theinstantwhen.com. Hmm. And of course, Wikipedia. Wikipedia. And that is it for my episode on Nostradamus, the astrologer, apothecary, and my birthday twin. Nice. And again, from the weirdos, happy birthday. (laughs) Thanks, weirdos. (laughs) I'm your conduit, weirdos. (laughs) Deal with it. And well, that's this week's episode. You guys know the drill now. If you haven't added us on Instagram, I don't know what you're doing. Go ahead and do that like right now. And um, I don't have anything else for you guys this week. Steph, do you have any parting words for the weirdos? Just thank you as always for being here. We appreciate it so, so much. Yeah, you guys are incredible yeah you make this podcast happen so thank you yeah thank you well without further ado adios weirdos until next time